0: Yeah, so like rule number one is like no playbooks. Like rule number. <laughs> one. Yeah, so 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 in my playbook, it's like do not follow a playbook.
1: Uh, <laughs> this week on Merchants of Change, we've got Steve Travaglini. Steve played football for the Assumption Greyhounds before starting his sales career in the staffing business. He quickly rose through the leadership ranks in the tech space at Datto and Onshape. Today. He is a Chief Sales Officer at Link Squares. Here he is, Steve Travaglini. I'm J.R. Butler, co-founder and CEO of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes and military veterans into becoming a professional salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? Today on the show, we've got Steve Travaglini. Steve, how you doing?
0: JR, I'm doing good. How are you?
1: Good, man. I'm, I'm pumped to talk to you today, dude. We got uh, You got a lot of buzz going on around your business and, and coming off of uh, award season two. So... Um, Really excited. A little bit of background, Steve, on the show. Um, We started it to start capturing content for the audience that we serve. Um, As you know, we help at Shift Group, we help former elite athletes and military veterans successfully transition into sales careers. And when we bring guests on, we try to find people that have a background in in athletics or, or military service that have had success in sales. And The typical flow, we like to start kind of with the sports, talk about your own transition, and then just talk about kind of your thoughts and and best practices um, around sales, especially for those early in their career. So that's kind of the the flow that we'll go through. Does that work for you?
0: Yeah, it works for me, JR. Love it. I love it.
1: I love it. Um, We we share a, a common experience of spending our four years in college. In the, the heart of the Commonwealth, Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, me, me for the Crusaders, you for the Greyhounds. Um, yep. <laughs> so I want to I want to kind of talk about um, just very broadly, like some of your favorite memories from your football career. What, what uh, comes I mean, to mind?
0: A, yeah, so the team comes to mind, uh, the locker room. Uh, you know, uh, the wins, the celebrations. The uh, you know winter workouts outside with a football team, bear crawling through the snow, um, you know all the good stuff, all the hard stuff. Uh, you know, in retrospect, it's all great memories, and you know I miss it for sure.
1: You uh, you had talked about with uh, with our producer, you were talking a little bit about uh, an injury from your junior season. What what happened? Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, that
0: was one of those bad memories that turned good memories. Uh, I was going into my junior year. I was a starting outside linebacker, getting ready, uh, you know, coming off of a injury filled sophomore season and had a great spring ball. I got the, got the, you know, the nod as a starter. And that summer I blew up my knee in a big way. I had a full reconstruction, LCL tear. And then I had to make a decision on whether or not I was going to, you know, focus on academics, uh, like so many do, uh, when they're going to lose a season and kind of just have one left. And, you know, the other option was to stay on with the team, uh, essentially become an extension of the coaching staff, uh, you know, help out our defensive coordinator. I was up in the booth for all the games, uh, being able to, you know, watch from that perspective and learn a lot more about the playbook and, uh, it was, it was, uh, in retrospect, an amazing, uh, opportunity, uh, and it made me appreciate so much more when I returned from my senior season, uh, you know, with a fresh set of eyes and stuff like that. So that was a great memory, um, now, uh, because, uh, you know, it really made me start to have to think, uh, uh, in that moment, it's kind of jarring. It's like, well, what's going to happen once all of this kind of comes to an end? Uh, because, you know, hopefully I get my senior season and I, I ended up having, you know. A pretty good season. Uh, I got the starting spot back and all that good, uh, good stuff, but, um, it began, you know, me thinking about life after football.
1: Yeah. I, I think, <clears throat> you know, you, you don't really understand. It's almost like you don't understand mortality at that age a little bit, like yeah. mainly the mortality of your career. So that that's a, that's a tough wake up call, but I'm sure it sets you up a little differently than some of your teammates. And I don't think people quite realize like the, the legacy of assumption football, right? Chip Kelly, um, coach there, and then I believe that you know the next, the net, one of the next great uh, power five football co- coaches, Coach Chesney, who's now at Holy Cross, but uh, you know, yeah, he, he's a rock star there. W- w- was that a? It must have been changed your your perspective a little bit, being essentially a, a extension of the coaching staff, eh?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no doubt. Um, it was definitely an eye opener for me uh, to be a part of a coaching staff, um, even if it was an honorable uh, uh, mention. I was never the best uh, film guy or playbook guy, and it kind of forces that hand to get good at things you're not good at, and yeah. uh, it definitely made me a better player. Um, and yeah, assumptions had you know a good run. Uh, uh, you know, we I, I was right before. Uh, uh, all of the championships at assumption. So one of the foundational turning uh, uh, moments like program turning, you know, we had some good uh, winning seasons, which was unlike assumption for for, for my era. Uh, and then, you know, insert the new coaching staff and, and a bunch of NFL players uh, uh, come out of the program. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's a you know, pr- pretty cool experience to be a part of.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I always say like the banners that hang on, on at universities those those don't those aren't just for the team that's there now it's for the teams that came ahead and and I I'd be willing to bet that you guys put some banners up at Leitrim's if, even if you didn't put them up on. The <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt.
0: Uh, uh. Our class, our class had the most uh, banners at lead terms out, out, out <laughs> of anybody, I'd, I'd bet.
1: How, how, would, uh, how do you think your teammates would describe you from, from your playing days?
0: Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, I was one of the crazier, uh, more intense, passionate uh, football players on the team uh, uh, without question. I mean, I was a linebacker, kind of went full Daniel Day-Lewis method acting into the role. Right. You know, when I was in high school, uh, the program was a, oh. a great football movie. And, you know, uh, Vladimir or whatever his name was, I think was kind of like my inspiration for my uh, collegiate playing style. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, um, it's like, you know, it's, it's no surprise. I, I think that people today would describe me as just like a very intense, passionate guy. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's just that's just the way that I live.
1: Yep. How you, how you do anything is how you do everything. Hopefully you're not like in the parking lot, like smashing your head through windows before you come <laughs> to work though. Like No,
0: <laughs> no, that's a great, that's a great scene. It's a great scene. <laughs>
1: oh, so, so you mentioned like your junior year, you get injured. You're, it's like that more, that kind of wake up call. Like, I guess, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to play football forever. Um, was, was, was sales the first thing that came to your, your, your brain? Or were you like, were you kind of thinking about other, like other routes? Like I know when I was in college, I had always wanted to be a lawyer and there was no like love of the law for me or anything like that. It was about like, they have nice suits, have nice watches and drive nice cars. Like what was your, like, what was your thought process when it came to thinking about that transition?
0: Yeah. So, I'm one of those uh, rare people that always knew like if it wasn't sports or football, it'd probably be sales. Um, and, uh, the reason for that, uh, uh, my mom and dad, both in sales, uh, to a degree, right. Um, you know, mother was in recruiting. My dad's a financial advisor. So there's like heavy, you know, uh, uh, you know, sales and prospect prospecting principles that, you know, permeate into that profession. Like they do many, but my dad's one of six, uh, uh, boys, right? And uh, all five of his brothers uh, are in sales. So I grew up in a loud Italian family, where a lot of the guys uh, were in sales and, and, you know, many of the women uh, uh, as well. Uh, so I was just always kind of around it. And um, I was always told since I was in, you know, elementary school, I'd either be a great salesman or a great politician. Um, w well, one of the two, um, and I think as I learned more about myself, it'd be better for the world if I was a salesman. <laughs> uh, uh, so, so, you know, it's just one of those things that, uh, I always kind of had it as, you know, what I would do if it didn't work out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What, so where did you, like, what was your first job? Like, and how did you get it?
0: Uh, yeah. So, you know, my first sales job was uh, like really, an, uh, it was an internship. It was an unpaid internship at the time assumption when, you know, probably still to this day, I'm not sure if they've changed their stance, but to get credit for your internship towards your degree, it needs to be unpaid. So I went to, you know, the administration, you know, office and I went to the cork board and I pulled off a sales internship, you know, sales intern needed unpaid. And I said, okay, that sounds great. Um, it was at the Worcester Visitors and Conventions Bureau, which is defunct now, but it was a tourism outfit, you know, th- three full-time employees in Worcester, Massachusetts. That's a hard uh, That's a
1: hard sell back then for those that don't know Worcester, by the way.
0: Yeah. You're trying to bring tourism and visitors to Worcester. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the year was like 2009, 2010, something like that. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a crazy job. I mean, there was no onboarding whatsoever. There was no enablement. There was no training. I was given a phone book, literally a phone book uh, uh, for Worcester, the greater Worcester area, and a telephone and I was cold calling like pizza shops and different people to advertise in this like little bureau, they would leave at like the train station in Worcester. And um, I had no idea what I was doing. Like the fundamental motivation of money, like in sales or any kind of commission, just wasn't there. And I was just struggling <laughs> trying to figure this thing out. And I got really nervous because my backup, like the thing that I thought I was going to do, all of a sudden, I was convinced I sucked at it. Um, and I, uh, you know, really did some soul searching uh, before taking on a full time uh, gig. Uh, uh, you know, after graduation, in recruitment, which more or less is sales.
1: Yeah. So, so when you graduated, your first sales role was in recruiting.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, you know, I, those were really like the SDR, like BDR days for me personally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was a family owned staffing firm uh, in Central Mass, the Davis Companies, oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it was like one of those. It was like one of those gigs where. You were on a 35K, 30K base salary. You know, if you crush it, maybe you get up to 50, right? Something like that. And uh, they start you off on the recruiting side. So you're, so you're basically just cold calling candidates all day long from resumes that are in databases for potential openings. And then once you prove yourself to good enough, they'll you know ship you over to the account management side where you start to call up the businesses that are looking to hire people and you start to work with in-house recruiters and stuff like that. So I had that whole crash course there, and it was, uh, it was a great learning experience, and it was you know, definitely challenging, no doubt.
1: I, uh, my first job was also based in Marlboro, by the way, and that's where I grew up, and I know that's where the Davis companies are. So Yeah, um, I'm, that's I'm, right. I'm sure we, we cross paths at, at Sully's. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's awesome. I didn't realize that. Yeah. How, how yeah, did, yeah. How did the transition over to tech happen for you, Steve?
0: Yeah. So yeah, I was about four years in, I, I did some cool stuff for the Davis companies. I opened an office out in, uh, Minnesota, believe it or not, twin cities. Oh, wow. And that was, that was their first regional expansion since like the early two thousands, late nineties kind of took on like more of an entre- entrepreneurial type of project. Um, and you know, I was thinking a lot about like what I wanted to do with my career at that point. I had some success, you know, not tons. And I had some skills again, not tons. And I started to look around at uh, some of my friends, what they were doing with their careers, how they were progressing. I just saw everybody in tech moving so fast. Yeah. Right? Like they were, they were moving up. They were making a lot of money, a lot more money than I was making at the time. And I just was hungry for, for a bit more and I wanted to keep learning. And, um, you know, to this day, I still say that, you know, selling uh, uh, staffing is like the hardest thing, the hardest yeah. sale that I've had. Right, uh, because like people are so unpredictable, and you could actually have a product that somebody wants to buy, aka like a job let, uh, uh, offer goes out, and then your your product, which is your candidate, says no. Right. So God God bless you, Jr. and 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 what you guys are up to. It's a real hard business. It really is, and there's there's a lot of variables, and and you know there's like these. Anyways, so I won't bore you with that. You understand the business, but. Um, I was looking for something that would be easier to sell uh, uh, as well, like selling software, solve a problem with a great technology, something like that, align those two things. Lord knows I had a lot of belief in my ability as a seller. And I, I was thinking, hey, tech is probably a good place for the future, for now, and ultimately um, worked with a recruiter and landed at a tech company, which was cool.
1: That's awesome. That's great. And yeah, now that you're like, you know, you're, you're obviously – a lot further along, looking back, um, this is a very broad question, but I'd love to hear it. Like, what do you love about the fact that this is where you landed? Like, what do you love about sales as a profession? Just like personally, like what is, what's so great about it for our audience? So they, so they can hear your perspective.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's really challenging for a lot of athletes, uh, uh, like myself, Um, when, you know, they're coming out of something that's such a huge part of their life and then they need to find something that kind of operates in a similar way, right? To really scratch that itch and to fill that void. Because like, honestly, for me coming out of football, there was like a, there's a big void, right? I just had this thing that I was trying to replace. It was like the thing I always thought about, cared, cared the most about for sales. There's the team elements, there's the competitive elements, there's the meritocracy of, you know, work your butt off, be the absolute best that you can be. And if you're doing better, uh, you're going to get the opportunity. You're going to make more money. Uh, uh, there was just like this synergy and alignment with athletics that for me felt so familiar. Um, if you slack off, if you're not super disciplined, if you're not in the zone, right, like you're going to feel that impact on your game at work. And like, you know, there's the feeling of letting your team down and different things like that. So all the things that kept me super motivated through high school, college, um, I found the parallel to them in sales. And that's what I think I love the most at the beginning. Uh, You know, now I can say that like everything I was sold about being in software sales at startups is 100% on the money. Right. If you truly go all in. Uh, and, uh, you give it everything that you have, you can find yourself within, you know, a 10 year, you know, span of time in a very unfamiliar place. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel like I've had a career by the time I'm 35, that some people don't get the opportunity to, uh, you know, throughout their entire lives, you know? And I think that's so unique to sales specifically as a discipline. Uh, and also to tech and startups as well as an extension of where I'm doing my sales work. So all of those things I think is, uh, you know, it's a beautiful thing uh, uh, for me.
1: I agree. I, the the piece about the meritocracy, like I can't emphasize that enough. Like it's like I've, I've had the sign up. Nobody cares. Work harder. Because like I, I actually believe it in my bones. Like there's not a lot of professions out there that are as black and white as sales and and athletes more than anybody understand like there's a winner and there's a loser. There's a scoreboard and there's a depth chart and it's up to you exactly where you sit in all of that. And sales is just like that. So I'm, I'm glad you called that out. How do you? Yeah, no doubt. I have to imagine you, you probably still there's get calls. Mine. You still get calls from, you know, Greyhound graduates and how, like, what do you, what are you asking them typically to make sure that like, they understand that whether or not sales is a good fit for them from a career perspective.
0: JR, I I don't get calls from uh, Assumption graduates. I don't get cold outreach. I get nothing. Um, It's it's crazy to me, right? Like, uh, I'd be happy to do it. I'd be happy to talk to people from the football team if they wanted to know. And it's like, the thing about school sometimes is like, I don't think that they always do the best job at promoting like alternative paths, right? Uh, Into places like the startup scene. Which is why I think what you're doing is so great. I know you've done some work with Assumption and kind of educate them. But when I was there, it was all about like rider rental, you know, truck rental, and you know, Meditech, and like some of the larger like corporate like behemoths that were trying to like you know put their tendrils in uh, to you know get FaceTime. And then I think a lot of the athletes take that at face value and they go, okay, this must be the path. And then you know maybe it's them who have the inboxes that are blown up, but. Uh, uh, it's certainly not happening on my end uh, at all. Um, it's just kind of interesting.
1: It's, it's not unique. <laughs> dude. Like, like I think, and maybe it's, maybe it's like our industry's fault as a whole that we've done a bad job from a PR perspective when, when, you know, I think sales in academia, sales is, is still like kind of a dirty word. Um, yeah. But like I always try to explain to people cuz cuz a lot of the especially the higher end kids that that come into the program they're like I think I want to be a consultant. And I'm like okay, what's a what's the job of a consultant? And they'll say, "Well, you go into a company, you figure out like what they're doing today, where there's gaps, and then you show them a path where they can improve people process, technology, all these decisions and 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 have a better better outcomes." And I'm like, "Okay, you just described a sales job, except at the, begin- <laughs> at the beginning of that, you have to ask for their attention. And at the end of that, you have to ask for their money. So do you want to be a consultant who lives on a plane and doesn't get paid? If you do what you just described really well, like more money, or do you want to do what you just described and get paid according to how you perform in doing that job? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I totally agree with that. Um, yeah, you know, it's one of those things. Uh, uh so, to, re- to revisit the question, though, like, what would I say yeah, uh, uh, to, to people that are looking? I would I would say, you know, think about what it is that you're looking for, right? Are you the type of person that wants, like, a lot of structure and consistency? Do you visualize yourself as being somebody that wants to be at a place for, you know, 10, 20 years and really, like, get into that type of comfortable rhythm uh, uh, yeah, o- over a longer period of time? Uh, There are a lot of options for that, a lot of great options. Uh, Or are you the type of person that wants to continuously be like learning new things, going really quick? And uh, basically like what I'm trying to suss out there is like, is this person someone that should really explore like the big company structured curriculum for onboarding? Or is this a person that could potentially benefit from a crash course like right out of the gates into the startup world? Uh, uh, They're both great options. I have a strong bias towards the startup universe uh, because that was my experience. Right. Just like a lot of, you know, the bigger company folks have a strong bias towards the big company, but I think that's a critical thing that, uh, you know, college grads and people thinking about the workforce need to explore like immediately versus six months into Oracle, realizing like this is the last place you wanted to be or being at a startup where like there isn't like a really clean path and, you know, you're just kind of in like a real gritty mode and you're like, wait, I feel very uncomfortable with this uncertainty. And I will, like I was looking for something that was going to be more stable and more predictable. It's like, I think we could do a better job in educating people on what the short and long-term for both of those options can look like to give people a better, you know, guiding nudge to explore conversations in one way or the other.
1: Yeah. I, it's, uh, it's hard for me. We have big customers and we have small customers and like, my career trajectory is very similar to yours. The biggest company I ever worked for was, you know, it was like twenty people when I joined it, and it was like 600, right. 650 when I left. But what I always say is, like, listen, I I was a chief revenue officer at thirty four. If I did exactly what I did in my career, had the same performance level, I would have been probably like a district manager at thirty four yeah. instead of a CRO, right. which is very different. Yeah, no doubt. You know, same. Yeah, same here, man. I, I always actually, I stole from you. I, you did a post one time about the difference between people that maintain versus people that build. And I ultimately, like at its core, I think that's the biggest difference between a small company and a big company. And and young people don't quite know who, where they fit in in that box. Um, but I, right. I, do, I do believe it's better to see if you're a builder first than, than to see if you're a maintainer first. Because you can get stuck in the comfort, Right
0: yeah yeah no doubt. maintainer they might say like optimizer right yeah. but uh, uh you yeah, know awesome. but 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 I totally agree and and that was my experience, right I was sold the dream, I was excited by the dream of the builder, right, and that's all I know to be fair, which yeah. is why you know I want to acknowledge that when I give that advice out because right. you know my way is not the only way it's a it's a damn good way it's worked out well for me, yeah. uh but it might not for them, right, so yeah. always try and give them reasonable advice versus saying you should do this because, and it's like, it's not necessarily true because, you know, attrition in sales is somewhat high. And I think there's been a lot of people that were the right people, right? We hired them for incredible character traits and, you know, we were going to train the rest. And it's like, then you kind of realize that despite their best wishes, your best wishes, they were the right person, but probably for the wrong place. Right. Yeah. And, and you just got to help them find that, that right step so they can be successful. Yeah, it's no. it's.
1: I always use the 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 bottle of water analogy. Like you, you you know, you buy it at Costco and it's thirty cents thirty cents a bottle. You buy it at the you buy it at CVS and it's a dollar twenty five. You buy it at the airport and it's nine dollars. Same water, same H two O. It's it's about the environment. Um, and you got to find you got to find where you're nine dollars, not not twenty five cents. <laughs>
0: I love that. I love that. That's great. (laughs) I'll use that one. (laughs) one. Um, I was like, "Where is he going with this? He's going to land the plane?" Like, yeah. (laughs) What do you? I I was just, I was just in Las Vegas, and uh, they were selling water uh, at the Sphere. I went to the U2 show this past weekend with my wife, and uh, it was like fourteen bucks. So, 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 find where your water's worth fourteen bucks.
1: Oh, that place looks unbelievable, by the way.
0: Yeah, it's incre- it was incredible. It was a really cool
1: time. That's awesome. Um, so you, do you think like your, your career path has a lot, like where you've gotten to so quickly, I think it has a lot to do, right company, you know, right time. Obviously, I, I think both yeah. of us would be, you know, pretty arrogant to not say that that didn't have a huge uh, reason why we got to where we did, when we did. No doubt. What, no what, else, what else do you think contributed to it though for you? Yeah, so uh, I think
0: it realistically is an alignment of working incredibly hard, right? And being incredibly disciplined, right? Um, you know, in the zone, if you will, uh, you guys say locked in, right?
1: Dialed
0: um, in. Yeah, dialed in, that's it, right? Um, you know, it's like making that decision uh, uh, to be on kind of at all times is a thing for me, um, that allowed me to maximize my opportunity, right? Like for athletes listening, uh, you know, you totally understand when you get a chance, right? You might be young on the team, or maybe you've been riding the pine behind someone great for, you know, several years and they have an injury, right? Like, or something happens where, you know, someone's not able to play and you you get your chance finally, right? You have to make the most of that chance. And I think that, you know, I definitely did. I mean, I was, like, focused on everything. I, I cared so much about what, uh, my, you know, my peers on my team thought about me, what my leadership team thought about me, um, what my executives thought about me. I wanted every interaction to be one that, was, you know, left people with a positive impression, that, you know, they were impressed, that I was focused, that I was intense, that I was someone that was results-oriented. Right. And I was very mindful of that uh, as I was coming up. And then it's not just about the optics. It's about doing like the hard work behind the scenes that nobody appreciates. Right. That, that puts you in a position to make a great impression, whether you're closing a big deal or, you know, you really know your you really know your stuff. And, and you can kind of nail a conversational point with somebody higher up and stuff like that. So, like, I think it's really just, uh, you know, like you said, it's luck is a big piece of it. Yeah. Right. Um, And then it's making the most of your opportunities. Uh, But one thing I forgot to to layer in there is like, it's like the airport thing you are just talking about. Like I was trying to pick something that I thought was a good fit for me. Right. And it wasn't just the stage of the company. It was also the person that I was joining. And like, it felt like, you know, it just felt chemical, right? It, It felt like there was like this attraction to what this person was about. And it was also somebody that like, I looked at and went like, dang, like they did the thing that I want to do. Right. And, and looking at that, uh, uh, you know, when they talk and they're telling you from their perspective, what it's going to take and how they did it and all this type of stuff. It's like, I just believed. Right. And I think having that sense of belief in the person that you're going to work for, and then having it reciprocated back is so, so important. Um, you know, it's, it's critical. Um, and I was very fortunate. Chris Essler was his name. Uh, Rob Flynn as well. I had I had two leaders. I had Chris Essler and I had Rob Flynn. Where it's like we just all hit it off on every possible level, and it worked out. Right? Yeah. It just worked out.
1: Yeah, I know. I know Chris well. His brother Scott worked for me. Yep. At, worked for me at Turbo. They're an unbelievable family. Um, and and what what you're talking about, by the way, Steve. When a kid comes through our program you know, typically they're going to get a couple different offers. This actually just happened uh, with, with somebody that, that is now working at link squares and apparently was the first one in his class to get a meeting. And he had this other offer. And I, and I, I asked him one question. I'm like, who do you admire more? Which leader do you admire more? And that's who you should go work for. I don't care. Don't talk to me about, you know, 5k difference in comp. Don't right. talk to me about in office or that none of that shit matters right now. You need to pick, the leader that you admire the most that you feel like you can learn the most from. And that's where you should go, whether that's one of our companies or somebody outside of our network, that's who you should pick a hundred, hundred yeah. percent of the time. So I'm glad you, you, you emphasize that. Cause I couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Like what do they believe in? Right. I mean, all of it has to kind of come together. Um, and, uh, I, I couldn't agree more with that advice. That's, that's like, I honestly, some of the best advice you can give to somebody cause they're smart, right? Like they're weighing the, you know, the positives, the negatives, and they know the rest of it on paper. It all matters too, yeah. right? But but to have some clarity to kind of cut through it, when yeah. you look 10 years into the future, you'll regret taking the 5K with the leader you don't believe in versus just going in with the person that your gut's telling you, like, it's just this person. And and quite frankly, that's great when it works against me too, right? Yeah. Because then that, that person's finding the right place for them and that, that matters the most. And it's avoiding that mis- You know, connection where I might be super excited about somebody, but it's quite not right on the other end. It's gotta, it's gotta line up. um, And you know, candidates owe it to themselves to do that work.
1: Totally, because no matter which one you choose, this shit's gonna be hard. So you better do it with with people that you like and that you connect with. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, This is a kind of a broad question, uh, Steve. But like, I'd love to know the 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 playbook, the sales playbook that, that you're going to write someday. What are like some of the, the core pillars of like, w- like what great salespeople do?
0: Yeah. So like rule number one is like no playbooks. Like <laughs> rule number, yeah. So, so, so in my playbook, it's like, do not follow a playbook. Uh, <laughs> uh, just care about doing what works. Uh, uh, and do not care about being right, right? Because often you'll be wrong in building one of these things. So um, that would be the first thing. I would just be weary of anyone who like praises like a sales methodology as like the way forward. And we're gonna build it like this and structure like this and qualify like this. And this acronym is gonna be the thing that saves you. And it's like, everyone's just trying to sell you something. And there's a lot to be learned And I, you know, I think that everybody should be a student of the game. So in my book, I would say, do that and then apply what you're learning from all of these various different disciplines and methodologies and think about your unique situation as a riddle. That's probably going to change every six months because of course my playbook would be focused on the building uh, 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 you know, side of the world. So you got to constantly be changing. Self-disruption is like the name of the game. Uh, so that's where, you know, that motto of mind, uh, uh, you know, don't care about being right, do what works kind of holds me accountable. And I've done a, Whole lot of that this year, um, Jr. A whole lot of that. So I think a lot of people who are succeeding in 2023 can agree. Um, and those that are, you know, uh, uh, not, it's like, well, what are you doing to fix it, right? It better not be the same thing. Yeah. Um, so th- that's number one. Number two, it's like hire well uh, and hire with integrity, right? Um, you know, there's three things that I always use to help guide my basis for for interviewing. And making decisions number one i want people that are energy givers to your point the job's going to be hard as heck uh, as is and if you have a room that's built on folks who are naturally like optimistic positive solutions oriented excuse me going to lift each other up that creates its own momentum because everyone's going to take their turn having the bad day and if you're around a group of people that can lift up uh, uh that goes a long way the second i look for people that are self- driven. I find that like when you hire people who have a lot of potential, but they don't have a proven track record of you know being gritty or a grinder or working through adversity, uh, you're going to end up pulling those people a lot further than they're comfortable being pulled, and that's where things you know burnout and stuff like that happens. I want people that want to be more successful than I want them to be, and I want them to be pretty damn successful, right? And then the last thing I look for is you know trying to evaluate open and honestly for like the skill set. Uh, uh, and like there is one, like you can teach a lot of sales, but there is definitely elements of, of natural ability that I look for in folks that help it all kind of click at the highest level. Um, every sales different, So, you know, I'm always looking for the folks, uh, uh, that could potentially have that natural fit for mine. Um, so I think it's really those two things is like what I would focus on. Um, and I'd probably have like a third chapter, uh, uh, you know, if there's three sections, like first would be no playbooks second. Would be hiring well uh, uh, and consistently with integrity, and then number three, um, uh, what was number three? I had it; it was on the tip of my tongue. Um, cut your it'll losses, come to me. Cut your losses, or oh no, number number three, uh, like like a manager's guide to like human psychology, and and because so much of the job, uh, as you continue to go through sales, as as you elevate. Uh, uh, as you go deeper into IC paths or, or or as you get into leadership, so much of the nuance of, 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 you know, being okay or good or great at the job lies in your ability to communicate with human beings, to connect with them, uh, to motivate them. Uh, uh, and there's just so much to it that I don't think is focused on enough when everyone's focused on, like, what's your sales methodology? It's like, okay. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, that would be number three.
1: It's it's so true. And it, and it's you know, we're in the we're in a little bit of an echo chamber of salespeople with LinkedIn. I, I always tell people like this is just salespeople and marketing people talking to other salespeople and other marketing people, and yeah, you 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 have these like strong opinions about like this is this is working and this is dead and yeah. this is how you should do this. And it's like when somebody asks me like JR, what do you think works? My answer is everything. Like you have to try yeah. everything. And you have to see what's working at that at that moment in time for your specific clients that you're trying to you know to to sell to, and it's going to change over time. So I love the, yeah. the the no playbook playbook. That sounds like a good title right there potentially. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, hold on before we get off
0: that. Like I'll, I'll build on that. So so okay. I've over the years
1: I have really figured out how to
0: use LinkedIn as a tool for yeah. recruiting, yes. uh, for building awareness about our company. And most of the time when I'm posting on there, it's about that. Right. Um, But I am sometimes opinionated to the point where people inside of my four walls at link squares, like, do you really believe that? And I'm like, well, like right now we're kind of in office five days a week. So like I have to put that message out there because the people that resonate with that message that, that come to link squares, like need to have an in-office experience when we're in office, we're hybrid now and I'm all about hybrid. Right. So like I'll put the hybrid out there. People are like, I thought you said it was all about in office. And I was like, well, at the time, that's what works. Like, I don't care about being right on this thing. This is what I'm advertising right now to the candidates out there. And there was a point where for us being a full cycle team, meaning no SDRs, full cycle was the name of the game. Like it was a time uh, where the data was showing we were more efficient when we were full cycle, the SDRs were actually slowing us down versus helping. That's gone full 180 in the other direction. Now we have, you know, we're building a world-class SDR organization for folks that are listening to this. If you're in the Boston area, we we are in office three days a week. JR and team can help represent you. Uh, We are hiring a whole bunch of SDRs. Why? Because the data right now is telling us that's actually way more efficient than this thing that worked uh, uh, during COVID where full cycle was easier. Pre-COVID, we had SDRs. So it's like kind of always ebbing and flowing. And I totally agree with you. Like half of the stuff on LinkedIn is just steam for views and clicks. And the people that know how to get it uh, know that you have to be even more and more opinionated about all that stuff. So I wouldn't put too much uh, weight into any of it.
1: No, no. And and I mean, I think somebody who lands at a, at a great organization like link squares is surrounded by people that are going to develop them. I think the problem is, is not not all organizations are created equally. So you've got a you've got a big chunk of the sales population that is relying on these people on LinkedIn to get advice and to get training. And to your point, those people are selling you something. So just be very yep. <laughs> very cognizant of that. You know Yeah. I mean?
0: And I'm sure some of it's good, right? And like, that's the thing. Like, it's not all bad either. No. There's stuff to be learned, by, but there are no gurus. There's no replacement for just getting into a company and working your butt off and figuring it out for yourself. And, you know, I plugged into a whole bunch of it, like John Barrows and stuff, like, Earlier in my career, I was like trying to get everything I could because I was trying to get ahead. I'd swipe my credit card, like whatever, if I can get an edge, you know, I was just, I was just trying to find ways to figure out the things that I hadn't learned yet. And, you know, I think sometimes, especially for reps that aren't totally brand new, but there are people that have been in a job for six or 12 months, they're hearing like one set of voices. And then like, they realize just how hard everything is. And that despite, you know, maybe the strength of their leadership team and the coaching and the enablement it's still really hard. So people start to look elsewhere. Like who's got the easy button, like who's got the thing. And it's like, don't go looking to those influencers for that. Right. Like maybe they do have a course, you know, but that could really help you and unlock a little bit more performance, but like, it's just going to be harder and harder as you go, like deeper into the game. It just gets harder in different ways, easier in others. But, um, I totally agree with you, JR. And I love, I love your, uh, your tongue in cheek uh, trolling of people. Sometimes it's great. Uh, it's like, it, it's just fun stuff because like, there's also a culture of just like praising everybody for everything, no matter what, all the time. And it's like, you no, know, we're all human beings and not everybody should be idolized online. It's like kind of cuckoo.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My, my friends call me the the LinkedIn Batman. So like, they'll just send me, they'll send me a They'll send me a post and it's like, it's like the light is up above the city. Like Jr., we need you here. So I'll jump in and and fortunately nobody will fire me. So I can I can say (laughs) something I wouldn't have said two years ago when I was a CRO. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no
0: doubt. I do know what you mean. I do, I do. That's a riot. Uh, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan.
1: By the way, I think like the nugget there for everybody listening is approach that stuff with the context of what Steve said his first his first chapter of his playbook is, which is do what works. Right. So you know, I've had experiences where I, I went from running same company, same product, same title at a customer. And I went from commercial to enterprise. And guess what? Everything I was, a lot of the stuff I was doing in commercial didn't apply to enterprise. The deals were bigger. There were more people involved. It took longer time. So we had to, you have to be ready to pivot at all times when you're a salesperson and you're moving up and, and changing these the direction of your career. Just approach it with like, a beginner's mindset and figure out what works for that specific time period in that specific role. I think that's the totally. nugget that I want everyone to take away from that.
0: Totally. Totally.
1: I love it. I'm doing it right now. Like it's active, right? Yeah. The same
0: stuff that made me successful, like in those early SDR days versus like now it's like, it's like the trial and error. Like you have to be open to, to switch things up and you have to, you yeah. know, you have to be bold about, you know, making pivots when things aren't working. Right. Yep. Um, yep. you know, so, and,
1: and, and the well, good, the good thing about sales is you got, you're going to have a lot of at bats to try to, to try different stances. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, no uh, doubt. No <laughs> doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Steve, this has been awesome, man. We we finish off every show with the same two questions. Um, uh, so the first one we like to ask every guest, like if you could name a skill, that's really made a difference for you in your career, that's made you elite and led to, to where you are today? What, what would that one skill be for you?
0: I think for me, uh, it was you know really being comfortable uh, uh, with who I am and what my natural skills are and really leaning into this, those things that I was already spiky at, right? Like I'm a passionate, intense guy, right? Um, playing into those strengths, I think was my superpower, right? Like when it comes to being, you know, dialed in, uh, uh, and talking about, you know, that period of my life where it was just all about making sure that every impression was nails, uh, uh like the discipline that I had from sports, uh, uh, combined with like the passion and intensity that I brought to that, bringing that to sales and like still, still being a good teammate right? Which is, which is, you know, a big piece of it. Um, I think it's some of the, you know, magic sauce, in yeah. addition to like choos- choosing the company well, and, um, and choosing your leader well, right? Yeah. Uh, making the, making the most of that, uh, uh, you know, opportunity. Yeah. Uh, so for me, I think just being a passionate, kind of crazy, intense guy, yeah. uh, and, and, being, and being very disciplined about how I approach it, because yeah. it matters a lot, right? It, it just matters so much. And I think that's the thing too. It's like, it's okay that like your job matters to you, <laughs> right? That's like that's like a thing that like it's like so like in vogue to like it it be like a thing that like oh no it's like toxic or not cool to like be all in on your career and like you know going it's like well if you were on the New England Patriots how would you be ex- expected maybe a better reference for prior years right if you are if you are you know uh, on an elite sports team sorry Bill Belichick if you're listening. Um, uh, it doesn't really apply the season, but like everybody just assumes like, well, yeah, of course, that's if you're a professional, uh, uh, athlete, but like I'm in sales, uh, uh, like it shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't be like all consuming and a thing that like you go all in on. And it's like, what are you talking about? What kind of life is that? Right. Like, I, I, I just wish that more people would realize that you can have like true purpose and meaning, uh, uh, in something like a sales career, uh, uh, no different than, you know, People that we idolize like on TV, right? Like the T Swifts and the Travis Kelsey's. It's like, if you're not like the star of your movie and treating like Monday to Friday and the weekends and everything like as a, you know, a scene that you're building up towards something special, like it's not going to be worth watching someday. And I think I always really wanted to, uh, you know, be somebody, right? Similar to you, like, why'd you want to be a lawyer? Why'd I want to be in sales? Well, I could be somebody, I think, pretty quickly and fast is like what I believed, and I thought I had a good work ethic and skill set for it. So that's kind of how it shook out. And and you know, you, you brought up award season earlier. It's like I, I got this uh, the CRO of the Year award, and like the BDR in me is like, what is this? <laughs> right? Uh, it's kind of crazy uh, uh, to like reflect on it. Right? Yeah. You know, beating out some of the influencer types too. Right? Like 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 along the way, yeah. and it's like yeah. I guess this is, I guess this is what, you know, you get after you put your nose, you know, put your head down, put your nose to the grindstone and work your butt off for like 12 years straight.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, you know, you get some acknowledgements and all that good stuff, but like, don't forget uh, also, uh, when you come up in the game, where you come from, yeah. you have, you have a very important audience, JR. So I wanted to make sure I left some more tidbits out there that maybe I haven't dropped on a podcast before. So.
1: They're, hope they're, this is
0: helpful for the folks that are listening in.
1: It's amazing. And, and there is no such thing as an overnight success. It's like, you're not seeing that 12 years prior to that. Yeah. To walking up on that stage. And, and by the way, like your point about it not being cool to love your job and to like be passionate and like dedicated to it, the alternative to that. And I don't care what you do. People spend a third of their life working. So if you're telling me that that 30 year life is something that you don't really give a crap about and you're just there to check boxes and go through the motions, like that's not a great alternative choice, man, to like saying, Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go all into it. And I'm going to be the best that I can be, whatever it is. If you're a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, like why not not make the most of it? Amen. You know? Um,
0: Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's the thing, man. I hope that, People take that away. Like that's the trait, right? Uh, like yep. care enough where you're willing to and find the place where you care enough about what you're doing that you don't waste that third of your life just going through the motions. It'd be a damn shame.
1: Absolutely. Let, last question, Steve. We, we you, you talked about, we use dialed in a lot. And when we talk about it, we talk about people that are performing at the highest level. It's easy to talk about, you know, Tom Brady's dialed in. But I think the, the, the best compliment you can give a salesperson is, is calling them dialed in. What does being dialed in mean to you as for salespeople?
0: I think everything that we've said, <laughs> uh, been- uh, you know, yeah, it's like, you know, uh, uh, what's been said, you know, you know, what more could be said about it, it's, you know, being dialed in is being disciplined, uh, being dialed in is being excited right? Like being dialed in is being optimistic. Being dialed in is is learning, right? Um, Being dialed in is always searching for what works and not caring about being right. People like that are unstoppable.
1: Unstoppable. So good, Steve. Hashtag, this is hashtag required listening officially, man. Thank you so much for giving giving us time out of your busy schedule, man. You guys are doing really special things over at Link Squares. And, and like you said, if you're if you're in the Boston area or willing to move there, give it a look. It's, it's the best, it's my favorite company we work with. So Steve, thank you so I, much.
0: I officially have 10 openings right now for December and January. So if you're listening, come find me, shoot me a DM. Let's chat.
1: I love it. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it.
0: All right. See you guys.
1: This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shift.com.